Hello there, one and all, and welcome to this special podcast with myself and Ralph. Today, we're going to talk about a subject that I mentioned in another podcast last week, and it's about the UK insurance company Hiscox, which will next year start using an AI model that it develops with Google that will automate the underwriting process for specialist risks. The thing is, this is one of those things that sounds reasonable enough on the surface, but it's actually quite complicated. So I thought it would be a great idea to ask an expert on the subject to explain it, which is why Ralph is here. Um, so, Ralph, what qualifies you to talk about this? Nice hat, by the way. Thank you, sir. Well, so, what indeed? Most difficult question first, it seems. Well, I mean, I, I don't know what qualifies me. I can tell you what I've done in my life. Mm -hmm. And you guys decide. So basically, I started um, my professional life at a life insurance company here in the UK, where I trained as an actuary. And after I completed all the mathematical exams, which gave me a diploma of actuarial mathematics, I didn't go all the way to become a fully qualified actuary. So after receiving this diploma in financial and actuarial mathematics, I went on and joined a firm of specialized brokers in the city of London. Actually, they are not specialized. It was an investment bank where mm -hmm. I met Peter, uh, which was one of the highlights, of course, of working oh, there. Yeah. No, just shut up. Stop it. Right, anyway, go on. <laughs> yeah. Peter said he'd give me money if I say that. Oh, see, I really, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I did say that, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. So uh, anyway, so, um, and that was an investment bank where I started a 20-year career in the city of London as an insurance analyst, meaning an equity analyst who looks at insurance companies and analyzes the financials and all the various other news flow surrounding them with a specific goal. And that goal is to formulate actionable advice to fund managers and that was enshrined in buy sell hold recommendations so this is nothing special in itself we all know what equity analysts do but because of my background as a let's say um, mathematical actuary or whatever you want to call it um, i chose to focus on the insurance sector. So I have got six years of experience in the industry, which is life assurance industry. I've got a background in the mathematics. I've got a background in the specialized accounting techniques which are being used in this area. And I've got 20 years of experience as an equity analyst who does nothing but analyze insurance companies. Now, if you think that means that I can at least be expected to know what I'm talking about. That's sort of yeah. the summary. I mean, I have, I have to say, Ralph, and, and, and this, is, this is with no irony at all, I'm actually really looking forward to it. I have been actually very excited about this podcast because I know that this is actually a very important subject and there are not many people that can explain it the way that you can. So I think that, you know, I would say to people even more so than normal, they should sit back, pin their ears back and listen to the gems that you come out with, because it really is um, going to be something that I think will really is a, is a rare opportunity to get someone of your with your knowledge to actually be able to explain this in a way 
that everyone will be able to understand. Oh dear, no, no, no pressure there. So let's of see. Course. So first yeah. thing is I will remove my hat for all those who are not looking. I'm wearing a Christmas hat and it's got mm. a pommel and the pommel keeps hitting me in the eye. So my hat keeps attacking me here. So I'm uh, going to, now I've removed health, it. Health and safety, health and yeah. safety. Also it's in an effort to maintain some sort of professional gravitas here of course and so now i'm going to start pontificate about the subject and i promise you you'll all be bored stiff after several minutes you are selling it like no other anyway (laughs) you used to be the salesperson (laughs) i used to be the anal person in the back room (laughs) counting beans so let's see whether i can um, give you guys some of my experience of having counted beans for 20 years. So what we're talking about here is an artificial intelligence program or artificial intelligence process which Hiscox developed together with Google designed to complement the underwriting function. And this is one of these topics which talks about things which are striking most of us as quite banal because we're talking about insurance products here and insurance companies. But no prizes for guessing unless you are, like me, somebody who's wasted their life away with trying to get some specialized experience in this field, you would probably not have quite understood what I said even now, and I haven't even said a lot yet. I've just basically Mm. been describing this product. Mm. Who is Hiscox? What do they do? What's PNC? What's underwriting? These are all these kind of things. Now, if you have worked in the industry, uh, then these things are second nature to you. So I'm going to make sure that I try to use as little jargon in my explanations possible and if i do use some jargon peter please kick me immediately and i'll try to explain the subjects unfortunately my legs do not extend to london but i will do something (laughs) in fact they they barely (laughs) they barely touch the ground at the moment but yeah i see right (laughs) i can i can lower my chair yeah cool Uh, anyway um right so so to 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 um sorry um <laughs> to repeat this is about an ai meant to complement the underwriting function developed by hiscox in collaboration with google so the first thing i'd like to basically just mention is who are hiscox hiscox is one of the global insurance companies which specialize in the writing of specialist risk. And I'm going to get to all of this gradually. First of all, how big are they? They have a market cap of about 5 billion pounds or or euros or whatever. It's always the same these days, 5 billion. To put this into context, the biggest or one of the biggest PNC carriers in the world Chubb Insurance has a market cap of about 90 billion. So that's easily 20 times bigger than Hiscox. 
Allianz, which is the German company, which doesn't just write PNC, but also live. Again, market cap of about 90 billion. RSA, which is our own homegrown PNC company here in the UK, maybe 7 billion market cap. Munich Re, one of the biggest reinsurance companies in the world, about 30 to 50 billion, I would think. So that just, it, this is not really relevant to what we're talking about. I just wanted to give you a little bit of first, very rough overall landscape of where Hiscox is. So Hiscox is a PNC carrier, and in the world of PNC carriers, it's mid sized, but it is global, which means that they write global risks. As you can see, it's almost impossible to talk about this without using jargon. So what does that mean to write a risk? It just means that you are willing to insure somebody for a specific, under specific terms for a specific risk. And what I have used a lot now is the word PNC. So that's the first thing I really want to talk about so that you guys sort of know what that is. It's an abbreviation, obviously, it stands for property and casualty. And most of us know this as simply general insurance. So general insurance and PNC are synonyms. Property and casualty is one of the two large sectors or segments into which the world of corporate insurance divides. The other one being life and health insurance. And we all know what life and health insurance is. Life insurance, we all know what that is. So life insurance is a contract where, say, I will be paid out a sum assured, some money, say £100,000, if I either die <laughs> within a contractually specified period of time, let's call it 30 years, or in which case the money will be paid to my estate, or if I survive that period, in which case the money will be paid to me and I can use it, for example, in support of my pension or to pay off a mortgage, something like this. So you can see life assurance is very akin to an investment and savings contract. So that's the one large segment in the insurance world. The other one, and that's the one in which Hiscox sits, which we wish to talk about today, is PNC, property and casualty. The name already suggests what these guys are insuring, what these guys are writing, and that is. Um, and that is they insure risks against your property, against stuff which you own. Like, for example, your car. You would obviously have um, uh, in, in insurance which indemnifies you against damage to your car or damage to other people's um, uh, possessions caused by your driving. And then there are other things we all know what they are, household insurance, etc. That's what PNC is. Now, the next thing to understand is that property and casualty is not just about these banal things which we all know, uh, motor insurance, household insurance, etc. They can be very highly specialized. They can be about 
um, assets which hardly anybody owns, like satellites. So they would, some of the carriers in the property and casualty world would specialize on the writing of these more uh, difficult risks. Uh, satellite insurance, terrorism, political insurance, kidnapping, and you can already see this is beginning to sound like a James Bond novel. So some of the specialized risks in PNC are so specialized that you need, I'm going to use this word a lot, specialist experience in order mm. to even put a price on the risk which you're insuring. Mm. And no guess, no prizes for guessing why I'm mentioning all these, because Hiscox is, in fact, a specialist in this type of insurance. They are known for kidnapping, terrorism, political risk insurance. As in and insure, insuring for it, not they are known for kidnapping people, for instance. Not that I know of. I would need yeah. to check. I don't yeah. believe so. <laughs> just thought I'd, uh, you know, just uh, anyway, carry on. Yeah, yeah, no, insurance against the um, consequences of such uh, heinous acts. Exactly. And yeah. um, also, they are writing the sort of stuff which you and I know, motor insurance, household insurance, but they are targeting high net worth individuals in this. Mm. High and highest net worth individuals. So you would find uh, things from, from, from Hiscox where you, for example, you can um, insure all your kit worldwide. So if you have sort of a international lifestyle, maybe you own five watches from like, you know, fancy watchmakers and some uh, expensive shoes and coats and that sort of stuff and you uh, have a yacht somewhere and therefore you're on that yacht and then maybe you are in your house in Antigua and you carry some of your assets around with you. Hiscox would write you a contract where these assets are always insured no matter where you are in the world. And they would also, this is also what Chubb does, they would also insure household for um, bigger houses. And we are really talking about mansions now, uh, what, what people call super prime, 50 to 100 million pounds of in, in value. That's the sort of thing which which Hiscox would, would go into at least. I mean, I would have to fact check that last bit, but I think it's that sort of order of value. So mm. there we are. That's the sort of thing which Hiscox is writing. Um, and, and, and writing just simply means uh, that they take on that particular insurance risk. Mm -hmm. So if you owned a house of that value, I would, if I was Hiscox, I would insure all of your household assets, your furniture, your watches, etc., for a price. And if I take you on, then I would be said to write you as a risk. That's where mm. this word comes from. Mm -hmm. And of course, it lives also in the underwriting function. So you see there's some consistency here. So the underwriter, this is now where we get to the function of underwriting, where this AI product lives. The underwriter would use their experience and risk assessment skills in order to decide 
what the price ought to be at which this risk is being written. So I said this with a bit of a halting voice because I need to correct myself a little bit here. Because the underwriter does not calculate this risk. The actuary calculates the risk. So the actuarial function, these are the numbers crunchers. The actuaries use mathematical models in order to calculate the price which the company needs to charge so that there will always be liquid enough to pay all the claims which are arising from a particular group of business. These prices are set by the actuarial function and the underwriter has a flexibility of setting the price within some tight bands. So the actuaries tell the underwriter what price to write something at, and the underwriter decides what specific price they might be able to quote the customer using their experience in order to attract the business or maybe to reject the business if they are thinking within the band the actuary set this is too risky or um, well, not risky enough, so to speak. Hmm. Does this sort of make make sense so far? I don't, yeah, don't want to yeah. like monopolize no, everything. No, but... I mean, I like you say, I don't want to interrupt your flow because I think it's very, like you say, you know, you're you're doing it in a very, in a very understandable way. So yeah, I mean, I'll just say continue. Yeah. So um, so let's now see uh, because there is something here which we need to talk about, of course. And it's briefly looking at the actuarial function and, 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 and sort of thinking about how is a premium, that's the word for the price of the risk, how is a premium actually calculated? And I don't want to go into too much technical detail, of course, but it, it, it's sort of in, in, intuitive. If I were to insure um, you uh, and and insure you as a motor insurance risk, so I insure your car, mm-hmm. then I would need to know certain things about you, um, some biometric details, sex or gender, whatever the word is these days for this, male or female, uh, where you live, um, basically anything which has any bearing on the probability that you might have an accident or not. Mm-hmm. But immediately some of you would basically say, Ralph, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Peter is just one person. There is no probability. If he crashes his car through his garden wall, then this either happens or it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen with some probability. Hmm. And that's the key of insurance. Of course it doesn't. The probability is calculated on a group of people. So if I have, I being an insurance company, if I as an insurance company have, let's say, a million policies on my books, all of them are similar people to you. Uh, 
they're all male, they all have the same or similar sort of experience in terms of accidents, they all drive similar cars, they all live in similar postcodes. Then I can be pretty sure that the experience of accidents in this group of people is going to be homogeneous. Mm. Uh, and, and, and this is what I need to in be able to assume before I actually quote a price for this risk. Because I can't quote a price for you on your own because I have no idea what you're going to do. But I can quote a price for a million people like you because the your, your accident experience is going to sort of statistically dilute or differentiate across the group of people. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how any insurance works. If it wasn't for that, no insurance would ever work and nobody could ever write any contract whatsoever. Mm. And so you can now see yeah. that it is easier to come up with a price mm -hmm. if I have more data available yeah. to me. Yeah. It is not easy to come up with a price if I haven't got a lot of data available mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. If I am a motor insurance company, I will have a lot of data either from my own portfolio or from other people's portfolios, which I yeah. may be able to purchase. Yeah. If I'm a satellite insurance company, let's say mm -hmm. something like that existed, somebody who would only write satellite risks, then it would be very difficult for me to get enough data mm -hmm. which are homogeneous enough for me to base a pricing decision on. Mm -hmm. And the reason is that there are just not enough satellites with mm -hmm. enough history to have had in a sufficient number of accidents mm -hmm. resulting in sufficiently varied claim amounts for me to do a statistical analysis on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, but if I have a million people like you and let's say 30% of them crash their car and it's a similar car and it generates damage on average of whatever, 300 quid, 500 quid mm. to repair, inventing something, maybe 1,000 yeah. cars are more expensive these days. Um, then I can basically say, okay, fine, this has happened in the last 10 years. This is yeah. likely to happen in the next 10 years. Yeah. So all I need to do is say 30% uh, of that uh, is going to generate so many claims. They're all mm. on average a thousand pounds because mm -hmm. they have been in the past. Yeah. Um, and so that's going to be my expected insurance claim. Mm. And that is therefore going to be, per person, the premium which I need to charge. Yeah. And of course, this is going to be a little bit, little bit more sophisticated. You will price into this inflation. The repair cost next year is not going to be the same as last year, but that can easily be done. And so you can see that a mathematical model develops, yeah. which is crucially based on the statistical experience of your portfolio resulting in accidents, in expected accidents, which yeah. drives the price. Yeah. And that is what the actuaries do.
And so what I said before, if you have a lot of data, you can price off this data with a high degree of confidence. If yeah. you haven't got a lot of data, you can't really do this. Yeah, yeah. And that is basically where the underwriting function comes in. Mm-hmm. If you haven't got a lot of data, then you will need to look at the specific risk which mm-hmm. you are asked to take on the books mm-hmm. using more qualitative assumptions. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you are the only person living in your postcode yeah. and you have a 10 million pound car or let's yeah. say 1 million pound car to insure, yeah. that's extremely rare, almost doesn't exist. So I need to then come out to you, take a look at the car, see where it's parked, uh, assess the uh, quality of the roads on which it's going to be driven, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And so that cannot be done statistically because there just aren't any other people who own such mm-hmm. a car. And so mm-hmm. that is where the underwriter comes in. And the underwriter is going to be given the sort of framework of a price. And then they will yeah. say, okay, in this particular case, given my experience with well, similar risks, I just use an example which is unique risk. But in the real mm-hmm. world, there are going to be similar risks. There are just not going to be very many of them. Yeah. So using my experience of similar risks, I'm going to say, oh, boom, this is going to be the premium. Hmm. And that's what the underwriter does. Hmm. I mean, it doesn't sound very scientific, not particularly. No. It's just a case of asking a load of questions and then saying, well, I reckon. Yes. I reckon this. (laughs) That's actually what it is. I mean, the actuarial function, that is quite scientific. Oh, yeah. And it can be extremely sophisticated. I mean, Mm. for for example, motor insurance, in order to project the price and to build the model, you've already seen this from the way I was talking about this, you Mm. need to sort of understand what is the average claim, Mm. how many claims are there going to be, what is mm. the frequency of this claim? And you would model this um, using a Poisson-Gamma distribution. Poisson mm. is discrete, Gamma is not. And so you, you can see there is a lot of potentially highly sophisticated mathematics which comes into this. Mm. But it can only come into this if you have a lot of data. If you don't mm. have a lot of data, you can't model anything. Because there's not enough data to model a gamma function or Poisson distribution on the data. You just haven't got enough. And Sounds that fishy. is where the, the underwriter comes in. Sounds fishy to me. <laughs> yeah, oh, you're Sorry. so funny. Poisson. Ooh, I, I, see what I, you I bet there. you've never heard that, have you? So, I've okay. not heard that before. That's <laughs> true, actually. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, I think, uh, I mean, okay, so that's, I mean, that sounds very. That's, that sounds that is interesting. Um, so, I mean, the thing is with AI is that AI is obviously very good at collating lots of data, seeing the patterns, and then and doing it really really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that's essentially what this is doing, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Um, there's a little bit of a. a conundrum here if 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 we're switching to ai the the sort of ai which is being used here by uh, hiscox is what we have recently seen bursting onto the stage of the world it's yeah. llm a large language model 
Mm-hmm. If I wanted to be flippant about these things, you can probably think of an LLM as a uh, sophisticated auto-populate function. Mm-hmm. This is on your mobile. Now when I type yeah, yeah. something on WhatsApp, it suggests what the next word is going to be. Yeah. You know, that's the sort of AI. It's just mm-hmm. on WhatsApp, it is very simple and trained on few data. Mm-hmm. To give you an idea, ChatGPT 3 was trained on 500 billion words. Hmm. And then we really need to sort of think about this, what that means. 500 billion, that's not 500 million. 500 billion, that's the entire internet which was Hmm. being used. Everything that has been written on the internet has been used as a training model for ChatGPT 3. It Hmm. had 175 billion parameters. Mm. And so in the world of AI, especially in the world of LLMs, mm. bigger is better. Mm. And, and this really is true. It is the, if you guys have any, anything of a mathematician in you, you will immediately sort of sharp intake of breath now. Oh, no, bigger is, that's terrible, that's crude. Mm. And it is crude. There is no clever analytical mathematical shortcut here mm. there's no data compression there are no, no 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 clever ways to 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 cut through something or or develop shortcuts it really is true that bigger data sets produce better ai better llms mm. and so this here is an llm and the reason why i'm talking about this in so, so much detail is I think going to become clear now because there is a little bit of a conundrum here or a, um, or a trade-off, let's say. Trade-off is a good word. Mm-hmm. Because as we said before, the more data you have, the less underwriters you need. Mm. Or the, the more data you have, the less do you need the underwriting function. Mm. The less data you have, the more do you need the underwriting function. Mm. But the less data you have, the less good is your LLM going to be. Mm. And this is, of course, what we're doing here. We are developing an artificial intelligence LLM in order to complement the underwriting function. Yeah. This LLM can only be good if it's got lots of data. Mm. But if it had lots of data to be trained on, there wouldn't really be an underwriting function which it could complement. And so the, there's a there's a sweet spot here. There's a, yeah. you, you you know, and, and this is of course where this this particular Hiscox LLM lives in this sweet mm. spot. Mm. So I mean, what do you think will happen to the professions? So what do you think the impact of this AI model will likely be on underwriters and on actuaries? I think underwriting is probably, well, let, let, let me phrase it this way. I think underwriting is a supreme candidate for the application of LLMs in future. Mm-hmm. LLMs, which initially will complement the underwriting function, but perhaps after several years, I'm always going to be cautious with using the word replace because it sounds so final, you know, Mm. but to complement it, use 
large chunks of what at that time will have, will have used to be the underwriting function. So mm. I'm going to say that I think underwriters might well become less um, less of a of a less less frequent in in the future. I do think the underwriting function is going to be one which is going to be challenged by yeah by by AI initially complemented mm -hmm. and then challenged because mm -hmm. I give you another example of how this is going to work because what what's the sort of data which we're talking about here by the way we are not talking about numbers we're not talking about hard data we're talking about mm. qualitative data mm. Hiscox does business in marine insurance for example mm -hmm. as well mm. in every port of the world there are insurance agents which write reports, shipping reports and other things on cargo and ships which are coming in. And these reports are massively qualitative and they have information in it which you wouldn't think is actually interesting. It's just, mm. for example, at five o'clock this morning, such and such um, uh, freighter came in carrying this type of cargo. It was piloted in by... Uh, the pilot of the pilot boat was Michael Douglas or something. Mm -hmm. The hull of the vessel was slightly caved in with paint chipping off it. Mm -hmm. It's that sort of thing. Mm. Now, this kind of information is not particularly useful, perhaps, but it is there. Mm. And it's been done for a long time, for decades. If this type of stuff was to be available electronically, that is the information on which such an AI, yeah. which Hiscox has just been developing with Google, yeah. is going to be trained. Yeah. And when Hiscox say in their press release that the AI is going to complement the underwriter's expertise, then mm. let's remember what the underwriter's expertise actually is. The mm. underwriter's expertise is to use their experience in order to fine-tune an actuarially set price. Mm. And the experience would be to be aware of all this type of qualitative information. Hmm. Maybe they know this particular pilot of the pilot boat and they know, oh dear, this guy is a bit reckless. I mean, he sometimes hmm. has accidents. Yeah, yeah. It's this type of, of, of experience, this type of qualitative, intangible insight, which allows mm -hmm. a good underwriter to mm -hmm. add value to the pricing function. Hmm. And of course, an LLM can do this much better. This mm. is precisely where an LLM operates as mm. a, as I said before, a, um, a very highly sophisticated auto-populate function. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you ask me two things. Where is the underwriter function going to go and where is the actuarial function yep. going to go? Yeah. So I answered one of them. I think underwriting is probably going to be very highly complemented in future by AI. Mm -hmm. And, okay, I'm not a fully qualified actuary, but nonetheless, one always has the tendency of defend to defend your own profession. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so actuaries are never going to replace mm -hmm. by AI. Well, that would be silly to say. It is clear that another... Uh, um, 
another strength of AI is pattern recognition, sifting mm. through large data sets. Mm. And that is, of course, precisely also where the actuarial pricing function is based on the mathematical mm. analysis of these large data sets. Mm. So I would not be surprised if the actuarial function is also going to be complemented by AI. But mm. from where I'm standing at the moment, I would say that my gut feel is that first off or for a longer time, the actuarial function is going to be constructively complemented, mm. by which I mean that the mathematical insights and the mathematical analysis of data sets is going to be aided and it is aided in such a way that it can be made more complicated, mm. more complex products reflecting more complex risks will be able to be priced mm. more products will be able to be manufactured and therefore sold mm. so i think that in the, I'm, I'm going to invent a number now over the next 10 years at the end of the next 10 year period i would see the underwriting function probably materially diminished in terms of how many mm. people are doing it mm -hmm. and the actuarial function going to be enriched by AI. But mm. where we are going to be on a 50-year time scale or on a time scale where we will see the current holy grail to have been developed, which is AGI, mm. Artificial mm. General Intelligence, which is mm. loosely defined as something which is able to do all the cognitive functions, all the cognitive mm. um, functions the human brain can do, mm. well, if that threshold would be breached, then obviously at that stage, we are likely to also see the actuarial function being uh, taken over more and more by mm. the machines. Charles? Well, there we go. I mean, um, I mean, is there anything else you wanted to say about the subjects? I mean, I, I think that's, that's quite a good... Uh... Uh, not particularly uplifting uh, <laughs> place place to end, but uh, is well, there anything I, else I, I don't know. Say? The world is always changing. Since the Industrial mm. Revolution, the world yeah. has changed. Our societies have changed. Mm -hmm. Our society, which we live in today, I promise you, has looks nothing like industrial society in England in the 1850s. Mm. And yet, I believe if we transport it back into the 1850s or the 1800s in, in England, and yeah. we would see the sweatshops uh, in, in London, I, I don't believe that we would see our society to be worse than that mm. one. And mm. it has been enabled by technological progress. Now, clearly, some of the jobs which we used to have have disappeared. And as I may have said this before, for the societies which produce these jobs and which 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 um, which house them, it has been positive. For mm. the person individually who loses their job, it may well be a tragedy. Mm. But for those who lose their jobs, societies will need to be able to generate, uh, construct ways to support and capture these people mm. through a functioning system of benefits mm. and and i i don't i i don't know where we are going to go but my guess is that um 
AI is going to take over more jobs which are based on pattern recognition, more jobs which are based on the experiential analysis of qualitative data, such as underwriting, less yeah. jobs initially which are based on a mathematical analytical penetration of data initially. Mm -hmm. and But all of this is going to enable the construction of more complex products and mm. will benefit uh, humanity. Now, I say this slightly glibly. I'm not, hopefully, I'm not naive in this. I can see mm. absolutely the risks of this, of course. Mm. But we're not there yet, and we need to sort of see what the risks are as we progress mm. through the development of AI. And mm. one would hope that societies are going to prove flexible enough to institute policies around the technological capabilities which we are going to enable through the development of AI, mm. which are going to put guardrails around it in terms of regulation without choking off the progress of technological um, advancement, mm. and at the same time create e economies which are wealthy enough to generate the sort of transfer benefits which those will need whose jobs will unfortunately be made redundant because that is mm. going to happen. Mm. Lots of food to thought there. So I'm, um, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still uplifted. I, I choose to be uplifted by this. I mean, we don't yeah, yeah. know where we are going to be, but I, mm. think, um, mm. I think unless we are all going to be overloaded by, mm. by by the machines uh, yeah. as in the Terminator movies or some early yeah. Isaac Asimov mm. model, movie, mm. uh, sorry, novels uh, mm. we are going to come out um, the better for it I still believe that it is an extremely exciting time to be alive in terms of mm. technology Absolutely Well there we go, well, look thank you very <laughs> much indeed I mean I think that this is a, a very interesting subject, I mean it take. I think that you did a great job of explaining something that is actually quite difficult to explain um, in an easy way to understand. So uh, I'll just say thank you um, for that. And, um, and, you know, thank you also for listeners and viewers, uh, listeners for listening, viewers for watching. Um, and we'll be again um, soon with more, uh, with, with more podcasts. But anyway, thank you very much. Indeed. Thanks guys for listening. Thank you very much. Yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs>